I've got the spots, the sickness, there's the twins in my brain. E3 Saxobank Classic is done and dusted, which means it's time for the domestic headquarters home race, Gent-Wilhelm in Flandersfields. Such a special race asks, of course, for a domestic cycling podcast special. And joining today's conversation is one of the domestic originals, Eve. Welcome, Eve. Good evening. It's uh, just the two of us today. Yeah, it's uh, it's something else. After the previous <laughs> episodes, it's three or four men. Uh, right, it will be as fun, I think. Back to the roots. Yes, indeed. Um, Eve, as the listeners might know already, you moved a couple of weeks ago. And guess what? Your new home is on the course of Sunday's race. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite funny to see. Like, I lived with my parents like 300 or 400 meters further from here. But like right now, it's just really the race passes uh, the street right uh, in front of my door. Uh, so it's, it's quite nice to see. And the only thing that sucks is I can't park my car in the street. So I need to walk uh, a little bit more tomorrow evening. But it's, but, yeah. it's for the love of cycling. It's for the love of cycling. Let's hope it's not raining tomorrow evening. Um, Witgent Wilhelm, Dwarsdorf Vlaanderen, Tour of Flanders, Scheldeprijs, Roubaix on the program the next two weeks. The schedule is, is really busy, to say the least. This is really the holy week we've all been looking forward to, isn't it? This is why we cycling fans are living for. This is what we are living for. This, these are the races, certainly as Belgians, that are... Yeah the hottest thing in the news, in the newspapers, on the television. Everybody is talking about it, even the people who aren't the biggest fan of cycling, cycling just stay at home to watch the Tour of Flanders, to watch Paris-Roubaix. It's real, something special in, uh, in Belgium. It's something you're looking forward to, but is your girlfriend looking forward to it as well? Or is that a kind of a problem <laughs> at this point in, uh, in the season? At this point in the season, the season is not really a problem. We're only still the end of March, um, the beginning of April. Um, so no, I can still still talk me around the fact that I need to stay at home every Sunday. But when it's starting to be August, September with the, the Vuelta, then it might, I might get in trouble. So... The Grand Tours with 20, uh, 21 stages, 21 days in a row, that's <laughs> a little more difficult then. That's a little more difficult to explain, but we do our best. <laughs> Before we talk about Sunday's race, um, we should review the Idris Saxoban Classic uh, of today. It's often called the Small Tour of Flanders in Belgium. And you as the race expert, what can we conclude after today's race? First of all, this race was... Phenomenal. Uh, the race started, I think, with 85 or 85k to go um, with the Van der Poel attack. Wout um, van Aert uh, answered. And then I think Pogacar was a bit out of position at that point, but he was able so to crawl his way back. We're talking about the uh, Tijenberg attack of Van der Poel yeah. right now. And it's, yeah, I think... From that moment on, it was 
racing in the purest form. The first part was with Nathan van Hooydonk and Søren Kahanderson still in the group as domestique for their two leaders. Uh-huh. Um, but I think they got dropped on the Paterberg for the first time. They were able to come back, but then they were dropped on the Odoquaramot. Um, and then it was a... For me personally, it was really stressful um, because I really had no clue who would be the fastest at the line uh, when they were sprinting with three. Um, at the moment that they attacked with 2k to go, then I already thought, oh right, that they doesn't really believe in his sprint or his uh-huh. legs aren't that good anymore or he just thinks he's not fast enough. Was that a good choice to attack twice, being Tadej Pogacar? I think it was because even with those two attacks, the the sprint we saw of him, there wasn't a lot of power in it anymore. Um, and I think without the, without those two attacks, he wouldn't uh, have a chance neither. Uh-huh. Um, so I think it was the the only thing he could do. And yeah, you can only always gamble and try and attack. Um, and if Van Aert van der Poel just doubt five seconds or ten seconds and he's gone so i think it was yeah do or die for uh Pogacar. let's get back to um Eau de yeah. in the past few years we're like 25 26 uh, years old now um we've seen fast ascents of Eau de Quaremont, but have you ever seen someone attack before the cobbles <laughs> no but those three guys are so spe- special. They attack even on points where you you know they will attack. They even attack 100 or 200 meters earlier. So it's like the attack already starts before the cobbles. And then it's like, yeah, all right. We know the Odoquaramont is already quite a long uh, climb. And Pogacar is even making it longer. Okay, but it's, it's phenomenal to see. And it was quite funny to hear I think uh, Van Hooydonk was at the front of that group um, and Søren Krahandersen came over him and he, uh, Van Hooydonk thought Krahandersen would attack um, but then just Pogacar and Van der Blue shot up in his inside and it was like oh okay and he was yeah, phenomenal really special so Tadej Pogacar attacking before the cobbles uh, the guy is really a monster he accelerates yeah. like I think three times uh, on Eau de Quaremont. Yeah. Wout van Aert, um, he was dropped before uh, we're halfway the climb. Then Pogacar sees it, accelerates once again, van Aert gets back, then he does it another time. You're never done with that kid. No, it's like he... Those, those, guys, those three guys are just... They have a weak moment, like a, a couple of seconds, but then if they have 5 or 10 seconds rest, they are back. And you saw Pogacar attacking on the steeper part of the Odoquaremont. Um, then he was looking at Van der Poel and asked if he could uh, take over. <laughs> so they were doubting. Uh, there were like 3 or 4 seconds where there was some doubt about are we going to uh, go at this speed till the top or not. And then Van Aert was, was dropped. But yeah. the fact that Van der Poel, he, he didn't take turns when Pogacar and asked to that that means the guy w- was having a hard time either yeah so and then Pogacar just said yeah 
if you if you don't do it, I will do it again. And then we had the un- unfortunate incident with the with the moto. Oh man, uh, were you as annoyed as I was by those motorbikes today? Um, yes, I was annoyed with the motorbikes, but I was annoyed with the the reactions on social media as well, uh, saying Wout van Aert won today because of that motorbike. Yeah, I um, don't think that's true actually, because now no, I've seen uh, I've seen footage of of that motorbike crash, which was really hard. He hit some yeah. some guys in the public, but Van Aert wasn't like completely dropped at that point. And the climb was, yeah, as uh, almost over. Yeah, it was pretty much over. So I'm quite annoyed with everything we see on social media saying Van Aert shouldn't have been in that front group anymore. But he was like one bike length behind uh, the back wheel of Van der Poel. So it's not like he was dropped completely. And like you mentioned, it was already at the top of Odequaramont. So if they would hesita- hesitate five seconds uh, there, Van Aert would be back as well. So Exactly, but nevertheless, we can conclude that Wout van Aert was the weakest of the three um, on the up, uphill sections. And yeah, as far as I know, that's going to be a problem for next week for Tour of Flanders, I think. Yeah, van Aert won today, but I think he will have some doubts about uh, next Sunday uh, with the Tour of France because he he really had a hard time on the on the climbs, on the cobbled climbs. Um, and in the Tour of Flanders, it's even harder. Like, no, it was Paterberg or the Quaremont. But yep. in the Ronde van Blanden, it's the other way around. And after Ode Quaremont, you, you only have Carnemel, Beekstraat and Tigenberg yeah. uh, left, which are the hardest of climbs. Um, while in Tour of Flanders, everything will be decided on Ode Quaremont and the final Paterberg with 13 yeah. kilometers to go, where the riders will be forced to ride on the cobbles because there won't be there there will be barriers so in yeah. the gutter i think today you can say van aert was lucky but the race was perfect for for van aert that after ode quaremont there weren't really any major difficulties left until um, the finish i think if there would be another paterberg ascent or another uh, ode quaremont uh, ascent for example on the in the remaining of the stage that it would he would be dropped permanently <laughs> but he deserved to win today he was the strongest in the sprint so i agree with you but still um the fact that he was almost dropped on Ode Quaremont and then still managed to recover for that final sprint that recovery is is going incredibly fast isn't it yeah he's recovering recovering very fast but they i think they're recovering all three quite fast um, and I think Van Aert learned a lot of lessons out of the sprints he lost against the Ronde van Vlaanderen in 2020 and the Worlds in uh, Hoerhede um, in January this year where he waited too long for his sprint um, no he knew there was tailwind so he started his sprint with 250 meters to go and at that point you see he has his top speed is higher than the top speed that Van der Poel has, uh-huh. um, and I think he he will be happy. He wins a head-to-head sprint against uh, Van der Poel. Yeah, exactly. Imagine if he, if he lost that one once again. Yeah. That would have been a nightmare. I um, think 
I think we saw the the media um, the last week saying Van Aert needs to win um, for his uh, for his mental game and to be ready for the Ronde van Vlaanderen in Paris Roubaix. Um, I didn't agree till that final sprint. At that moment, I thought Van Aert needs to win the sprint head to head to Van der Poel. Otherwise, I think mentally it would be a small blow as well, losing another sprint against Van der Poel. What do you think? Yeah, every sprint he loses to Van der Poel in a head-to-head is kind of a nightmare, I think, because everyone in the past always said that Van Aert was the better sprinter of the two, but then he lost uh, Tour of Flanders, then he lost the World Championships uh, cyclocross in, in two similar ways. Um, by making the same mistake, and that's what he didn't do today, he showed that he learned from it, which is a good thing, but still, when when there comes a new sprint, a new head-to-head sprint, I don't think they will be leveled again. It's not that Van Aert has an advantage yeah. now. It's not that no. Van der Poel holds an advantage. No, it's zero to zero. Start again. It's, it's like it's like every time they will go to the finish line, even with Pogacar, you never know for sure who's gonna win the sprint. At one time, Pogacar can win that sprint as well. Exactly. I'm sure of that. Pogacar can win a sprint against those duels as well. Certainly after the Tour of Flanders, a very hard Tour of Flanders. Um, I think Pogacar is now going back to Monaco as he scratched the uh, Dwarz de Vlaanderen of his uh, schedule. Yep. To be fully ready uh, for uh, the Ronde van Vlaanderen. So um, I think Pogacar will be very strong in the Ronde van Vlaanderen. The Tour of Flanders preview is for next week, I think, yeah, Monday yeah, or I Tuesday. Know. I know, um, I know, I know. Today is a Gent Wevelgem special, so let's head towards Ypres. Um, as I've already mentioned, it's our hometown, and how special is Gent Wevelgem for you as someone who lives in Ypres? I think it's quite special. It's something when we were chill, when we were a child, it was like we're going with our little bike. Um, to the big street to watch the peloton pass and try to grab a, a water bottle. And then when we when we, when we had a water bottle, it was like, yay, look at that, uh, I have one. And then it it went into the into the closet and it never came out again, or at least uh, in my closet. Um, you don't want to see mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's phenomenal to see. And every time they pass the the big markets square um, in Ypres. It's something special, even on television. It's really beautiful to see the Menning Gate and uh, yeah, all the other things. It's it's yeah, it's nice to see that the riders are riding on the roads that we are riding on and suffering on, and they is, make it look so easy. <laughs> is is that market square and that Menning Gate and all those? Um war memorials is it something you're getting used to by by living in Ypres or because a lot of a lot of tourists they say yeah, it's it's incredibly nice it's it's incre- incredibly impressive to see but when you live in Ypres it might you might get used to it you you see it another way i think one way or the other you get sometimes used to it that you if you need to ride through the Manning gate every night um 
But at the moment that you realize you're riding through the Manning Gate and you look back at all those names and the nationalities on that, then you think, damn, this is this is beautiful. This means something. This, yeah, I don't, I, I can't really explain, but it's it remains very special. Even now, I'm almost 25 years old, and when you see it on television, one way or the other, you're proud that you live in such city that remembered the war in such nice way and such beautiful way. Gent Wilhelm in Flanders Fields is the full name uh, of Sunday's race, pointing at the history, which plays an important role. Um, does that that factor play an important role in, in the race? Um, I think the race organiza organization um, wants it to be very special because it is in the in the name as well in Flanders Fields. Um, but to be honest, I don't know if the the normal spectator um, really thinks about that. I don't know. I do think so, because the for example the start is given under the Menin Gate. Um, yeah. There is a moment of silence. Um, there is some special music there. Uh, all the, all the cemeteries along the way. It's it's something you don't see when when you look at at, at another race. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, yeah, I think the ceremony, the sen the scenery at the start is really special. And when the coverage starts on television, you always see what happened before. So we always see some sneak peeks about the start ceremony and such. So yeah, that's true. And I think yeah people realize it, that it's in Flanders Fields, certainly. All right. Um, that's enough love uh, for our hometown, town, I guess. Um, to stay within history, you're going to talk about one famous edition of Gent Wevelgem. Um, the edition of 2015, 2015, sorry. <laughs> um, please, tell us the story. Well, um... <laughs> In the morning of that day, <laughs> I think uh, we can all say it was quite windy. Um, let's say very windy. Um, and then I think that race completely exploded right from the gun. Um, the riders really had to lay within the wind to even stay on the road. And even at that point, it was impossible to stay on the road. I'm referring to a, a certain very young Welshman at that point, Geraint Thomas, who just took a dive in the ditch, but was able to come back to the front of the race. Um, Same happened to Herr Stegmans, um, yeah, a really yeah. a, a big boy. He was yeah, yeah blown in, into the river across the road. So that... But that that was so crazy to see. It's like, you understand that with, with for example, an, an Nairo Quintana, who's only 55 or less kilograms. If you see him being blown uh, off the road, then you say... He had Stingmans, what was he, like yeah, 80, 85 80, kilos? 85 kilos, and if you see him going into the, in the ditch in the water, then, all right, this wind is uh, very heavy. It was like 85 kilometers an hour um, at that point. And yeah, that race was 
extremely hard. They were, yeah, they were echelons, <laughs> but they were trying to write echelons. It was like, I'm writing here, <laughs> I'm writing here, and then it was, oh, okay, we don't know what to do. And then um, an unfortunate puncture for uh, Mark Cavendish, who took him out really early, and you saw him trying to crawl back, um, yeah, trying to find coverage from the cars, but then it was like, yeah, waiting if the car would accelerate towards the the back of the bunch or bunch, uh, one sort of. Uh, what was left of the bunch? Well, a weird echelon with riders, yeah, all over the place. It was heroic to see. Total mayhem, and uh, it was quite funny to see. If you fall out of the echelon, then it's. The speed is insanely low from those riders. It was like they were riding 25 kilometers an hour. It was like, yeah, they were completely standstill. Um, but yeah, then the, I think I can say the magic happens within a very early attack from Jürgen Rulans, I think with 80k to go or 90k I think to it, go. It was even more, I, I'd say 100. Um, and he had a gap of two minutes at a certain point, point and he was able to keep that gap a very long time until um, the last it. 15k I think and until today he says he had the best legs of his whole career that day if he spends his energy he had that day in a different time in that race he's winning it with two minutes in front of the rest the legs he had, the the way he battled the wind all on his own, solo, when the groups behind them are splashing into pieces. There were nine, uh, six leaders, uh, six chases left at the end, and the peloton behind that just says, sorry for the word, fuck that, I'm not going, I'm not riding anymore here, and it just, it's done. You see Sahana at the front of the peloton just, freewheeling seven minutes behind Rulans. <laughs> um, so it was Rulans against the six chasers and it was, yeah, I think he cracked when he went into Ypres, um, the last uh, passage through Ypres, um, and he went through the little gate. Um, you saw him for the first time cramping up. Um, and then the the remaining of the course through Menin, it's quite nasty. It's not really uphill, but it's a, a 1-2% drag. False flat. False flat yeah, all the time. Yeah, false flat all the time. And then you saw him crack um, within the group behind Steen van den Berg um, and Nicky Terpstra. Those were Nicky Terpstra. Those were the only two from the same team. Um, Sepp van Marke was already uh, in the game as well at that point. Um, Must have been a young Sefa Marke, isn't it? Or uh, what was he like, 25, yeah. 26? Uh, he's now... Was he riding for Sp Sport Vlaanderen or...? No, he was riding for uh, Team Jumbo NL. Ah, right, um, yeah. yeah. He's now 34, so you can do the map. 26, <laughs> back at that time. Uh, and Jens de Buschere, the Belgian champion. Um, but yeah, then it was man against man, I think... Terpstra punctured, um, but he caught back. But he tr played a very sneaky game, and he stayed a little bit be between the cars to give the illusion that he had was he had difficulties to, difficulties to come back. 
But then he he did a slingshot from the back to the front. Um, it didn't work. Um, then Van den Berg attacked as well, but he had a small mechanical as well, so he was dropped as well. We heard them um, say not so very kind words um, when that happened, but then it was fixed magically, and he came back into the into the front group. Um, but I think the smartest and coolest guy of that uh, group was Luca Polini, who was really the old fox that time. I think he was 38. Um, and he spent his energy at the right moment. Um, and I think uh, 8x Quickstep, was it called back then, made the tactical error by not jumping on that wheel immediately. Um, so a late that... attack of Polini. Uh, yeah. Let him towards victory. Yeah, and then the the chasing group syndrome happened that no one wants to ride for and for the other. But yeah, do you know um, how many riders finished that day? Because I know. Can you make a guess? Uh, not a lot. Um, yeah, le less than fifty, I think. 39, I guess. And that 39. day was the first World Tour race of Oliver Nasen. The first World Tour race of Oliver Nasen? Yeah, and he oh. said back at the time he thought it would be his last as well. <laughs> he finished in the in the bunch. Yeah, I think he was 34th or something. 32nd. 32nd. Um, all right. Those hard circumstances won't be there this Sunday, um, I think. At the beginning of the week, there was predicted a lot of wind and a lot of rain, but somehow it got a little less now. Yeah, it will still rain. Uh, I looked at the weather reports for Sunday, but it will not be the the huge amounts anymore that were predicted earlier this week. But it will be a, a cloudy day. It will be a wet day. The roads will be wet, most likely. Um, it will be quite cold as well, I think 8 degrees, so 8 degrees plus a little bit of wet clothes and rain, um, the riders will suffer. Um, will there be enough wind in the Moorin to create uh, some echelons? Um I'm not sure, but there is always an attempt in the Moorin to try and create an echelon because it's really tempting it's a lot of free space around there so the wind can just blow very uh, freely freely um so i think they they might try it but i don't know if there will be enough i think around 12 or 1 o'clock the wind turns i think it starts with the south uh southern wind but then it's go to to north or vice versa i don't know anymore uh i looked it up but i forgot do you think uh, Sunday's race will be one for sprinters or one for attackers? Uh, I don't think Kent Wevelham is a race for sprinters anymore. Um, it might have been a couple of years ago, but I think there are teams who don't want it to end in a sprint, although a lot of teams are bringing a sprinter. But if you see the dynamics of the peloton these last couple of races, there are a lot of attacking-minded guys in the bunch. And the big question will be once again, uh, how will Jumbo, Visma play it out? 
on Sunday. Um, last year, uh, Jumbo started with Wout van Aert as well, but then four riders got away um, in the hilly zone, uh, being Binyam Girmay, Dries van Gestel, Jasper Steuven and Christophe Laporte. Is that something you think will happen once again, that Jumbo is going to to send out a satellite rider? I'm not or so do you, sure. Do you think that, that Van Aert is, will be really hungry to get two on two? I don't think Van Aert will be, yeah, if he has the chance to win, certainly he will give it a shot. But I think he he thinks, all right, I have won E3. Um, the Ronde van Vlaanderen is coming uh, the Sunday after that. So I think he can play out his team once again and it might it needs to be a sprinter in within that group because uh, last year I thought Christophe Laporte would have won that sprint to be honest he was able to save his legs a little bit because he was playing the game from the group behind him as well if I recall correctly um, but yeah I don't know who, who they're sending they had a lot of bad luck today as well I think Benoit abandoned uh, Van Baarle abandoned yeah Benoit punctured uh, right after uh, Tijenberg I think uh, and I think Van Baarle crashed on the Stationsberg yeah um, after the so I don't know how much the damage will be within the team and if they are bringing the same team as they brought to E3 I have uh, no clue um do you think there are some teams that will be able to compete Jumbo Visma with multiple riders? With multiple riders before today I would have said Sudal Quickstep. But today but they were nowhere. It was terrible once again. Like Osgreen was there, Alaphilippe was there. We said after Omloop that was one of our conclusions. Without the best Alaphilippe or the best Osgreen uh, Sudal Quickstep will be nowhere and I think we were right back at the time yeah I think it will be Jumbo Visma against Alpes uh, in the training once again Alpes with uh, Jasper Philipsen who was really impressive um, last Wednesday in Brugge de Panne Classic yep. where everyone thought he would just uh, sprint but nope Philipsen himself attacked with I think I don't know how many kilometers to go but it was a huge amount yeah, he did a, a lot of efforts to create that final group that went to the line. But besides Jasper Philipsen, there is Søren Krahandersen as well, who's shown in Milan Sanremo his exceptional form. And today in the E3, once again, a very he good did. job for Mathieu. Exactly, a, do- a lot um, of work. Um, but besides Alpicin and Jumbo, Sudal Quickstep is staking Merlier with them. So they're going all out for the sprint because I don't think that's the only way they will be able to win. Uh-huh. Um, because Melir has shown he has fast legs this week, uh, this season. Um, the defending champion, Girmay, um, I have my doubts. I don't think he's at the level um, from last year. Um, besides that, Sam Bennett. But Mats Pedersen. Mats Pedersen. Rainy circumstances. Yeah. Together with Steven. Steven again, they can play the attacking team a bit as well. Uh-huh. Um, not really waiting on the group sprint. It's going to be a nice race. There are a lot of big sprinters coming, like Merlier, Philipsen, Van Aert. Uh, 
Cavendish is going there. By the way, he was in Idri as well. Very strange sight but to see. I have the feeling Astana really forces him to ride those classics because they don't have any other riders. I don't know what's the problem. I, I don't understand why Cavendish is riding the Idri on Friday when he has more chance in Handwil and on Sunday. It will exactly. be hard as well. But that, at that moment, he needs to be as fresh as possible to have a chance at uh, Handwilhen. But right now, he will... I don't know if he finished today. I guess he, he didn't. But <laughs> his legs will... No, he didn't finish today. And he didn't finish classic Brother de Pan and Nidu. Um So, yeah. All right, so inter- interesting to, race. To conclude the men's race, um, because we need to talk about the women as well, one name... Who's going to win it on Sunday? Shari will say it. Yeah, no, I was talking about the men's race. Don't be that fast. Jasper <laughs> <laughs> uh, Phillips. Yes, it's yeah. mainstream. Yeah, it, it was. It, I I was going to pick him too. Oh, I think we forgot it. I know the league. What can we expect from him? Yeah, I think big things. Um, Wilhelm is a race that should suit him. Although I said. I think before the season he wouldn't win it, but he will have some fresh legs on Sunday. Yeah, I expect him to be there. I just went through the start list and the amount of big sprinters, good sprinters that are starting there is is incredible. Deli, Grunewey, Gaviria as well, Dimash. Tough. I don't know how the, the dynamic of the race will be looking at that start list, but let's hope on an attacking uh, race we don't exactly. want Handwebelham to end in a bunch sprint. Um, you kind of ruined my build-up uh, towards <laughs> the women's race. Um, but yeah, Shari Bosait, you've been talking about her for weeks now, that Handwebelham is her race, her eyes on it. Um, she's targeting the race. She'll end up on the podium. And guess what? Uh, last Wednesday, she was in the first echelon in Brugge, uh, Thursday in Brugge de Panne Classic. Um, fifth place for her. She lost to uh, Balsamo, Wiebes, Georgie and a name I forgot, but the legs seem to be good. She's ready. She's <laughs> ready to compete with the best in Handbeerland. Yes, I know to win that race will be very hard. Um Uribe's yeah, but starting... that's what he, that's what you said. She's going to win it. So please explain us how is Shari going to win it? She's gonna win a sprint head to head against the uh, Kopik. And Lorena Uribe's will be dropped. Yes, on the Camelback. Puncture on a very bad time. <laughs> oh, bad luck involved. <laughs> no, no, it's. <laughs> I don't know in which scenario she can win, but uh, at the front of. Uh, at the start of Classic Brugge de Panne, she, she mentioned as well that she wouldn't sprint for the victory. But with the echelon action that day, she was in the front group. Um, she didn't really have a sprint anymore at the end. But her legs are very good and she will be she will play a major role in Handwilhem. There will be a lot of hot takes of ours on the table uh, this Sunday. You said Shari is going to win, and when she wins, you'll buy us free beers. You said. Um, <laughs> I said that Lotto Kopecky wouldn't. She would win multiple races. So yes. 
She only won one. <laughs> it will be a head to head, I guess, on Sunday. <laughs> no, you need to support. <laughs> you betray Shadi Bosset. How dare you? <laughs> uh, all right. If um, how will you experience the race on Sunday? What are the plans? Um, we're doing a few stops uh, on the road. Um, starting with the presentation at the Market Square in Ypres. Um, then we're doing some small places around uh, Ypres. We're not going to the hilly zone, or it's not really decided yet, as the weather doesn't look that nice to be on top of the Camelberg and just wait to see the riders. So most likely we'll ride, the, uh, ride around with the car and stop on certain places, and when the coverage starts on television, Around 2.30 or 3 o'clock, I think we will go watch it on television. All and right. then if Shadi Bolsuits uh, wins, um, I'm not going home before I I'll, I'll come able... and find you. I'll come and yeah, find you when that happens. Come and find me. Come and find me. There will be some <laughs> beers and I, will, I hope they will be cold. <laughs> all right. I wish you all the best. Um, thanks for joining me today in this Kent uh, special. The next episodes will be at the beginning of next week, I think. That will be with you and, and Bram once again. Yes. A reviewing Gent uh, Weveren and previewing, uh, I guess, Twarzer Vlaanderen and Tour of Vlaanders. Yeah. Oh, All the right. biggest race of the classic season is coming up. Exactly. See you next Thank time. Thank you. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. I've got the sparse, the sickness. There's the twins in my brain. <laughs>